Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. John chapter number six and verse number 41. Six and verse number 41. We're still not going to get through this chapter tonight. All right. So I have to go on till November. The Bible says the Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. If anybody remembers from a couple weeks ago, he's already started. They're asking about the manna from heaven that their fathers ate of. He told them they had already had bread because he did the miracle. And then he tries to explain to them that he is the bread that come from heaven. And so now there's this murmuring among them. The Jews are murmuring at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Verse 41. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus, therefore, answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Amen. That will at least get us started here tonight. I want to talk to you a little bit about heavenly appetites, okay? Heavenly appetites. Hallelujah. Amen. It's good to see Sister Roxanna back there tonight. Almost didn't see her in her camo, though. It's good to see her back there this evening. Amen. Good to see Sister Malone back with us as well from her trip. Amen. Let's pray tonight. Lord Jesus, I come to you. I'm so grateful tonight, God, for your spirit. I pray, oh, Lord, let that same spirit lead and guide and direct us, Lord, in the service, Lord, and in the remainder, Lord God, of this service concerning the teaching of your word. I pray, oh, God, that you're able to help us tonight. Open our mind and our understanding. Help us, oh, Lord Jesus, to devote it, Lord, to you. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. And so the murmuring begins among the Jews. It's not so much that it just now begun, but it is going on. As a matter of fact, it's somewhat interesting because in the Old Testament, whenever the children of Israel received the manna or the bread from heaven, so to speak, Prior to that and even after that moment, uh, these Jews' ancestors, all the way back in the book of Exodus, you know what they were found doing before and after they'd given manna from heaven? Grumbling, complaining, and murmuring. So I guess the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, does it? Because here they are generations and generations later, ancestors of those of Exodus, and they are still murmuring, and they're still complaining, and they are still uh, doing all these things whenever they have uh, the most perfect picture of the bread from heaven. And that is Jesus Christ that is walking among them. And the problem with the Jews here in their murmuring is basically this. 
They could not get beyond Jesus's humanity in order to see his divinity. They could not get beyond his human aspects in order to realize his God aspects. Jesus had plainly told them in John 6 and verse number 33 that the bread of God, and we looked at this in previous weeks, that the bread of God is he. Everybody say he. That the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven. In other words, he was describing to them that the bread is a, a, a thing per se, but the bread is a, a person. And so more than once he, is, he has conveyed this to these Jews that, that uh, he is the bread that came down. And you see that terminology a lot here in John chapter 6 in, in, in particular. He's the bread that came down from heaven. But they're, they're uh, caught off guard. They are at arm's distance with what he is saying. They're murmuring among themselves because they cannot, they cannot accept that Jesus Christ, this individual, as they see in many regards solely as a man, just like they were, they can't accept the fact that he's anything special because they begin to look and say, well, we know who his mom is. We know his mom's marrying. We, we know who his father is. His, his father is, is, is Jacob, as it would seem in their eyes. So we know where he came from. He didn't come from anywhere, any place any more special than where we came from. He's just, a, he's just a gentleman, a guy who has been born from a human womb just like the rest of us. And so him saying that he came down from heaven and we know his mother and father, he came just like any other of us. All, all that that he's saying is hogwash. That's just a farce. There, that, there's no truth to that. But they did not understand uh, some things about this Jesus Christ who they would later see and know as their Savior. And we understand that they didn't know the totality of our things. The book of Acts even tells us if they had known him, they would not have crucified him. Had they really know the true uh, dynamics of everything that he was, more than just a human man, but God manifested in the flesh, then they wouldn't have taken the actions that they did toward him. And so as, as we go along here, uh, not understanding him to be their uh, savior that will, will die on Calvary for their sins. There's some things, Lord, on this side that they did not understand that in order for him to be their redeemer, in order for him to be their re redeemer, even according to the Old Testament law, if a man was to be a redeemer, more plainly a kinsman redeemer, uh, there were a few things that had to be satisfied to qualify him as a redeemer. And at the top of that list was this, that individual had to be of kin, all right, or related to uh, somehow attachment family-wise in order to redeem somebody. Uh, particularly in his family, he had, he had to be kin to them, he had to be of the same blood or the same family in order to be their redeemer. And so that law, that dynamic did not change in the New Testament when we look at Jesus Christ. In order for him to redeem the world, in order for him to redeem all humanity, he had to be of kin to humanity. And prior to being born in Bethlehem stable, he was God who was spirit without flesh, bone, blood, any of that. But whenever God manifested himself in the flesh, 
And that spirit of the Lord overshadowed Mary so much so that she conceived Jesus in her womb. He became a kin or a relative of all of humanity. The Bible tells us in Philippians 2 and 7, speaking of Jesus Christ, the Bible talks about how he made of himself of no reputation. That he basically divested himself of everything uh, that, 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 that he had in the heavenlies in order to come down. The Bible talks about how he was rich, but he made himself poor. He condescended. It says in Philippians 2 and 7, he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Of all things that, that the great God of glory could have came in the form of. He didn't come, the Bible tells us, in the form of angels. He did not come in the form of some type of uh, angelic heavenly thing like that. No, he came in the likeness of humanity for the purpose. In order to redeem them, he had to be related to them. And so that's, that's part and parcel. The reason why he came down as a man. Hebrews chapter number 2 further uh, further illustrates this. Hebrews 2 and verse number 14, it says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, and it's speaking of Christ Jesus, also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And so Christ took part of the same. He took part of flesh and blood like all the other children had taken part of for the purpose that he might through death destroy him that had power over death. Amen. And that is the devil. Verse 15. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That was us. That was humanity. Subject to bondage the whole time. Uh, even our fear of death. He come to deliver all of us. Verse 16. For verily he took not on him, here it is, the nature of angels. He, he didn't come as, as Michael or Gabriel, any of those high archangels. No. But he took on him the seed of Abraham. Amen. Primarily the seed of a man. The seed, for that matter, of a Jewish man. The seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him. I think that's powerful. He says it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Amen. Behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Verse 17 is important because it illustrates to us not only did God come in the form of a man, not the nature of an angel or anything, any other beast, but a man, not saying that an angel's a beast, amen. He came in the form of a man for the purpose that he could redeem humanity because he was kin to humanity. But also verse 17 starts to relay something else to us, that in order to be the high priest, in order to be the high priest of us, all right, he likewise had to be, it behooved him to be like unto his brethren. The Bible states in Hebrews, and this is just for your reference, Hebrews 4 and 15, that all priests, any high priest that is taken to serve in the high priesthood from the Levitical priesthood, even of the Old Testament, the high priest, it states this plainly because it has Jesus in mind. Every high priest is taken from among men. 
It's what the scripture says. Every high priest is taken from among men. And so here again, a qualifier then for him to be our high priest. He had to be taken from among men. Therefore, he had to become, right? He had to step down and take on the form of a man so that he could be our high priest. A high priest, the simple job description of a high priest is that they're going to offer up uh, gifts and sacrifices unto God for the sins of the people. And so he came down to be our high priest to offer up sacrifice which he has a peculiar role because not only is he our high priest offering the sacrifice, he's the sacrifice being offered. Amen. Not only that, he is so peculiar with the Lord. Amen. Knowing Jesus here, the body, the flesh being the sacrifice, but knowing the, the spirit of God indwelt that man, he's not only the high priest that offers the sacrifice, that is the sacrifice, then he is also the great God in heaven that's accepting the sacrifice. This is, this is a one-man show right here, folks. This, this, is the, this is a God-man show going on right here. He was satisfying everything that needed to be satisfied because there was not a natural human being that could satisfy it. There was not a kinsman well enough to take care of what needed to be redeemed, and there wasn't a high priest fit enough that could ever offer anything to take care of the sins of the world forever. Amen. Or a sacrifice good enough. But he's satisfying the bill. And so all of that is good reason why Christ is saying that he came down from heaven. He condescended. He came down. He became as a man, as it were, for the purpose that he could redeem and that he could serve in that, that role of being the high priest for all of us, for the church. He came down, amen, from heaven. Uh, the song that we sang from, from heaven to earth, right? From earth to the cross, from cross to the grave, from grave to the sky. The Bible says in the New Testament, in one of the epistles, the exact one escapes me right now, but it says, he that ascended, speaking of Jesus Christ, descended first. Then it goes on to say, and descended to the lower parts of the earth. But before he went up, amen, back into the glory, it's because he came down from glory. The song says to show us the way. Woo! He came down to show us that we could go up. Amen. So the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, speaking of this Christ Jesus, speaking of this God man, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so the man Christ Jesus was mediating. He's mediating. He, he has one hand on the heavenlies and another hand on the human earthlies. And he's trying to bridge the gap. Amen. He's trying to bridge the gap for us all. Amen. The Bible tells us even in the scriptures that I have read thus far to you tonight, in verse number four, it's speaking about that no man can come. Jesus says, no man can come unto, the, unto me except the Father, except he draw them. Again, there's that, there's that Jesus, Son, Father language that we have looked at that's distinguishing between the human side of Jesus and the divine side of Jesus. He says, no man can come to me except the Spirit that's in me does some drawing upon them. And so that Father, which is Spirit, was drawing people to the man, Christ Jesus. Again, you all know my favorite verse, 2 Corinthians 5.19. Look, it even tells us the, 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 the uh, dynamics of what's happening. To wit, that God 
right? Was in Christ. What's he doing? What's God in Christ doing? What's God, what's that spirit in that flesh doing? It is reconciling the world unto himself through Jesus. God was reconciling the world unto himself. And so that again describes that mediation row of the Lord Jesus Christ, his purpose. So yes, he came down from heaven. They can't wrap their minds around that right now, but before it's all said and done, they're going to wrap their minds around it. They're going to look at him and say, surely this is the Son of God. They're going to consider him and see that he was their Redeemer and he was the high priest that went once into that place and offered up, amen, one sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, and he only had to do it one time. Unlike all the priests that offered up many, many, many sacrifices year after year in the Old Testament. So he had come from heaven to earth. And so they're murmuring about something they don't understand. Amen. They're grumbling, complaining at odds. They see, we know his mom, Mary and Joseph. Yeah, but there is, there is a father. That, and Joseph's not even his biological father. So there's a father that supersedes that. Amen, that has had a hand in what has come about uh, this man walking among you. Now, I want you to look at verse number 44, where the Bible says, no man can come to me. Jesus is speaking. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw. Everybody say draw. Draw him. It's interesting. That word draw seems quite innocent, but I looked a little deeper into the Greek language at this word draw that John uses. And this word draw that John uses is used primarily in the Greek language and other places of Scripture when, they're, when they are wanting to imply some sort of resistance in the drawing. Amen. In other words, it's not just that, boom, he pulled him in. No, no, no. That he pulled, but there was some tension on the other end. I would dare to say we all could probably relate that even whenever the Lord drew us, there was some friction in the drawing. Hmm. Hmm. White knuckles sometimes holding on to pews shows the resistance. <laughs> Frequent bathroom trips that happen around altar calls sometimes shows the resistance. <laughs> trying to be Trying to be occupied with other people's children during that time oftentimes shows the resistance. Having to have a conversation with your spouse right during that time shows the resistance. <laughs> Woo! We're just about starting preaching right now. It denotes a drawing where there is some sort of resistance. The word that is used here is the same word that is used in the book of John chapter 21, verses 6 and also verse 11, where the disciples had been out. Peter decided he was going to go fishing. Some others say, we go fishing too. They've been out all night, so on and so forth. They really haven't caught much. And then finally, they throw a net on the other side of the ship and they bring in a slew of fish. 153 is what the Bible says that they brought in. But as they draw or drew that to the shore, it's the exact same Greek word. And so a hundred, and the Bible says the nets almost break. So we're talking about a heavy load. We're talking about a drawing of nets into the shore. That wouldn't have been real easy. Ben had a little friction, had to put your back into it. 
That's the type of drawing that Jesus is saying that the Father is doing upon people. He's drawing them unto me. But it's not just a boom. He just waves his pinky and boom, they come. No, no, no. There's a struggle. There's a little bit of a fight there. It's the same drawing that was used to describe in John 18. Uh, whenever the Bible talks about Peter drawing forth his sword to cut off Malchus's ears, the drawing of the sword from a scapard or from a sheath, Brother Terry, if it's not lined on the inside and it's just leather as they were years ago in biblical times, there's a little bit of a catch. You almost have to put your hand on the, on the sheath in order to pull it because there's a little friction. <laughs> That's the type of drawing. That Jesus is saying the Father is having on people. He's drawing them, but he's not drawing them without a little resistance behind them. And I have learned in my experience, God, God is always eager to draw. At the same time, there's always some resistance and friction too. Amen. That's the reason why it's important in our services that we entertain the Spirit of the Lord. Because he may be drawing someone's life, but rest well and know this, it don't happen without some friction from this side. And so, hey man, if we can, we need to oil up the, 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 the sheath, so to speak, so the sword maybe can come out a little easier, so to speak, that, that the drawing can take place without, with, with, with less hindrance. And so there, there, there's that drawing. And throughout Scripture, whenever you read concerning Scripture, there is a battle, right? Uh, the apostle talked about how there is a war in his members, right? There's, there's this conflict, right? It's a war of the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The Bible says they are contrary to one another. But not only that, there are a couple of uh, uh, cords, uh, C-O-R-D-S, cords, yes, that's mentioned in Scripture that are totally diametric to one another. They are conflicting cords that are mentioned in the Word of God. Uh, the, there are cords in God's Word that are mentioned as the bands of love. You can read of those in Hosea 11 and 4. The Bible talks about how he drew men with cords of love or with the cords of a man, with cords of love, he drew them. But there's another set of cords mentioned in Scripture as well. In Proverbs 5, 22, the Bible tells us that there are cords of sin. There's cords of sins. So those are the first cords that have come upon your life. Those are the cords that you were born into, the cords of sin. But as God begins to try to draw you with his cords of love, you know what's attached on the opposite side of you? Those cords of sin. And it's almost, if you've ever felt this, and maybe even feel it right now, you might be in a spot right now that you're feeling a tug of his love, but you're also feeling a tug of the sin. Amen. You're feeling the resistance in the drawing. You're feeling the resistance, if you will, in the struggle. And so when the drawing of the Spirit of the Lord happens upon our lives, here he is. He's very gentle. He's very kind. He's very conscious of us. And he's drawing us with cords of love. Most people would even attest to the fact that there's just something about whenever they first came to know the Lord, just that all-overwhelming feeling of love that they felt from God. He's drawing with those cords of love, and they experience that. But again, as he is drawing them, those cords that they were born into of sin are pulling in the opposite direction. Amen? And anybody knows this, that a cord or a rope, it's not just a cord or rope, is it? It's braided smaller 
pieces of string and cord and rope. You ever taken the rope and started to unbraid it? Huh? Right? It brings strength to it, don't it? Because we're not just talking about, we're talking about sins, right? We'll braid a little fornication with a little, you hear what I'm saying? With a little lust and with a, Amen. They're braided cords. So they've been braided from our iniquities, braided from our sins. And they are attempting to hold us where we are. They are attempting to hold us back from the pull of the bands of the cords of love of God. And so there is that resistance. Amen. There is that tug of war. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood is so true. Amen. But principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places, there is a tug of war going on for the souls of mankind. And it doesn't matter if you've been in the church five years, five weeks, or 50 years. There's always going to be a tug of war. There is, there is always that drawing of love with resistance. We can attest to that. Going on, verse 49. Your fathers, Jesus goes on to say, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, I like you. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. Go on to verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Here he is. He's hitting that same nail. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Verse 52, the Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now let's, let's, let's consider this for a moment. The people more than once has brought up this idea. Well, our father's got manna, you know, in the wilderness. What are you going to do, you know, prove yourself, blah, 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 blah. They're all the time talking about that. How glorious of a gift it was for their ancestors in the wilderness to get this manna that fell from heaven, that sustained them day by day by day, although they had to collect it each morning in the wilderness. And so, I mean, I, I don't want to paint picture uh, picture of Jesus in any way, but he's heard this, all right, I think quite enough and he just plainly tells them he says listen guys those who ate manna in the wilderness they died in the wilderness (laughs) I like him I like him a lot he said you're talking so glorious about your manna that you that your granddads and great 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 it'd be a lot of greats had in the wilderness he said they died they died that, that, that is the sum totality of the true benefit of the bread they had they died but he comes to them and tells them them very plainly he says but i am the bread from heaven i'm the living bread from heaven he says and if you partake of this bread you will not die all right and so what develops in this passage is some misunderstandings from the jews which they've been common uh, known to do have misunderstandings because again if you go back and you think about John chapter number three with the, 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 the meeting with Nicodemus and you think back at John chapter number four, uh, the meeting with the Samaritan woman, there were some misunderstandings there too, right? Nicodemus, how can I be born a second time, you know, from my mother's womb? The Samaritan woman, you mean, how can you tell me you go give me water? Our father Jacob gave us this well, right? 
They're looking at very, very literal things. Jesus was using birth and new birth as an analogy, right? For being born again of the water and the spirit. He was talking to her about well and living water as an analogy, speaking to her about the spirit, right? Amen. And so here is Jesus again speaking to them in terms that they were not understanding. Jesus, though, begins to connect some things for us, and he's trying to connect some things for them. You'll read in verse number 50 of John 6, he says, Jesus says, if you eat the bread from heaven, you will not die. All right? Then he follows that up with verse number 51, and he tells them, I am the bread of heaven. Furthermore, he tells them this, the, the more particularly detailed what this bread is. The bread I give is my flesh. So if you start piecing together, that if you eat the bread from heaven, you will not die. I am the bread from heaven. The bread is flesh. In other words, we can deduce then, if you eat my flesh, you will not die. And that's where they come to the conclusion and say, who in the world does this guy think he is? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Right? Is everybody doing all right? But here's the problem, folks. They fell into the same trap Nicodemus did. They fell into the same trap that the Samaritan woman did. They're trying to interpret everything that Jesus says literally. He wasn't talking about a literal being born again of his mother to Nicodemus. He wasn't talking about a literal well to the Samaritan woman. Nor is he talking about somebody literally eating his flesh. Here in John chapter number 6. For that matter, the world over there in the Mediterranean, they're much like us over here. They mutually and universally had, thought it was detestable for anybody to be a cannibal. So, you know, uh, they held some of the same truths that we do over here. But they're not talking about, in a literal way, eating his flesh. Listen, folks, we got these type of things that we say in our English language that connotate eating or devouring things that we don't mean we'll eat or devour. Figurative language, sister Roxana. We use, we talk about sometimes, for me personally, I devour books. Means I read a lot of them. I think I got about 25 knocked off so far this year, and I'm going for 30. Then there's other people, they drink in lectures. They swallow stories. Anybody hearing what I'm talking about? Some people ruminate on ideas. <laughs> Have you ever chewed over a matter? Huh? Have you ever ate your own words? <laughs> hey, man, we talk, if you want to talk about any of those literally, that gets kind of humorous. Our pastor, he devours books. He's got a lot of paper cuts on his lips. You understand what I'm talking about? They were misunderstanding Something for literal that was just figurative language. I mean, sometimes it can get quite scary because I've heard it said before that some grandparents eat up their grandchildren. Sister Rhonda's back there laughing. She says, I eat them up. And she might take it both figuratively and literally sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just figurative language. In verse 51, Jesus says, the bread that, look now, this is important. He speaks his giving of it as is something still yet in the future. He says, the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The give there, speaking of in the future tense. 
Same type of future tense give we read of in verse 27 that we've had from past lessons where Jesus said, and I'm just extrapolating a phrase here of verse 27, everlasting life which the Son of Man shall give unto you. So this everlasting life, this bread which is his flesh that he will give to us. What, what is it that you will give it? Yeah, he came down in Bethlehem's major, but his flesh was actually given to us, pointing toward Calvary. Huh? That's where his flesh was in totality, given to humanity. What? For the salvation, so that they might have life. For the salvation of the world. It was at Golgotha that Jesus would give his flesh on the tree. For the life. Then of the world. Look at it if you will. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 3. For what the law could not do. And that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin. Condemned sin. In the flesh. God says, I'm going to come down in the body. I'm going to take sin. I, I, I know no sin. He was tempted in all ways like we are, yet was without sin. But he allowed that flesh to become sin, and he condemned it on the tree. He gave it on the tree. Sin was condemned in the flesh. Two things here. Because we're going to talk about here in a moment. Because Jesus doesn't just talk about his flesh. He also talks about drinking his blood. All right? Sin was condemned in the flesh, but sin was remitted by the blood. It's condemned by one, but it's remitted by the other. Hallelujah. Woo! I'm glad he didn't just leave it at it being condemned because we didn't just need it condemned. We needed it remitted. We needed flesh and blood. Woo! We needed flesh and blood. And so the body of Jesus Christ, again, the sacrifice for our sin, absolutely. The blood of Jesus Christ, though, on the other hand, was the currency for our purchase. Huh? One was the sacrifice, the other was the currency. You're bought with a price. Huh? You are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. <laughs> Someone say amen. <sighs> Going on, verse 53. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're, they're just looking at it literally. He goes on, though, digging at it a little bit more. Verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, this is probably really going to rock their boat. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. That is going to rock their boat. How can this man give us his flesh? How are we supposed to eat his flesh? And now he talks about drinking blood, which they know according to their Old Testament law, it was against the law for them to even eat or drink the blood of a sacrificial animal, let alone a human being. So you know, they're, they, man, they got to be, woohoo. They're like, this guy here, yeah, he might have been born of a woman, but we have an institution among us that he might need to go see. <laughs> right? But he's telling them this, and drink his blood. You have no life in him. Verse 54, whoso eateth my flesh, he's going on now. I wish I, wish I could just be there just to see the faces. 
the jaws that are dropping, just everything. He, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. This guy really thinks he's something, doesn't he? And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, here we go, and drinketh my blood, look at this now, dwelleth in me, and I in him. Well, I guess if I ate you and I drank you, you would be. I mean, I want you. Now, this is probably the mindset that the Jews is going through here, right here. Verse 57, as the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Here we go again. I'm telling you, I came down. Not as your fathers did eat manna, different from that, are dead and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, this is just Jesus. I mean, you know, they already got some confusion. He just hits all the nails on the head even more so. If you didn't like me talking about eating my flesh, drink my blood. Amen. Drink my blood. So there's a few things, though, that we need to take in consideration here tonight. With all these things that Jesus is speaking of in this passage of Scripture. One thing, a couple of things that we need to think about is this. Number one. We need to think about Passover, which the Jews were very, very well acquainted with. And we need to think about something that was yet to happen, as I've already stated, Calvary. Because Passover and Calvary, in many regards, parallel one another pretty closely. There was a lamb for a family. Blood was for the purpose of keeping the death angel. He was the lamb of God that was slain from the foundations of the world. His blood was vital and important, too. And he was... He was sacrificed. And so there's some things here. Because, listen, now, when we reach back, I know it's been a long time ago, many, many, many moons and weeks. But back in verse number four of this chapter, the Bible told us, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. That's important. We use this in another place of Scripture where they were having a Passover. Because you got to understand, since Passover is getting close, Jews' minds, whatever festival is coming, their minds are headed in that direction before it ever gets there. They're thinking about the preparations they need to take, what needs to be done in order to celebrate their festival. So their mind is already thinking about lambs, about slaughtering, about blood. They're already thinking about all these things. And so their minds are already considering Passover because it is nigh. And so in the moment that their minds are already heading the direction, thinking about lambs and thinking about blood, Jesus comes to them talking about his flesh being bred from heaven and talking about his blood. And in reality, what is happening right here in the shadow of the flesh of lambs being considered and the blood of lambs being considered, Jesus once again is trying to step in and present himself as the Passover lamb. Both flesh and blood for the people. So these people, unlike you and I, unlike you and I, they're very familiar with sacrifice. Their whole lives in the Old Testament were based and predicated upon sacrifice. And they knew very plainly that the Old Testament law, that when a person brought a sacrifice, most sacrifices, I won't say all unless it was a whole burnt offering, but most sacrifices, not all of the sacrifice was burnt. All of the sacrifice, yes, was offered to God, but not all of it was burnt. Usually there was a portion that was set aside for the priest. And if it was a Thanksgiving type of sacrifice, there was a portion set aside for the worshiper as well. So with that in mind, knowing that, Something that is sacrificed, then they knew 
that they were able to partake of it. Eat my flesh. He would be the sacrifice. Eat my flesh. Because it's not, go, it's not wholly consumed, but it's even given to the worshipers. Eat my flesh. E- even other religions held true that, uh, pagan religions for that matter, they, whenever they ate, they believed that whenever they ate the flesh of a sacrifice, that they communed with he whom the sacrifice was for. And so we got all these mindsets coming to bear upon this very time. But again, as I stated, he says also, drink my blood. Oh, we, Lord, you told us in the book of Leviticus that we were to make sure all the blood from the animal was drained and we were not to consume any of the blood because the Bible says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And so we're not to consume that. We're not to consume, if you will, the life of any other beast, whether it be a lamb or a goat or nothing, any other animal. It must be properly drained. And yet... Since he says that all throughout his law, and I think I've conveyed this before around communion time here at the church. He conveyed that all throughout the law, and yet the only blood he ever told people to drink, to consume, was his blood. And may I convey to you tonight, in my opinion, for this reason, because if the life is is in the blood, the only life he ever wanted them to ingest was his life. And again, we're not talking about a literal consuming of his blood here, all right? <clears throat> but in the Old Testament, Old Testament sacrifice, the flesh, the animal was a representation of the person who brought it. The blood many times was poured out on the altar and to the Lord, right? But now we have a turning of the tables. We have a turning of the tables because now Jesus has become the sacrifice for it, us all and his blood is poured out. For us all. Not only that, through this we can understand again that he would in the future give his flesh. It is pointing toward Calvary. He's projecting some importance on Golgotha before it's ever arrived, right? Because again, a spirit has not flesh, a spirit has not blood, but the body of Jesus Christ provided both flesh and blood. Now here's something vitally important. Something physical can be sacrificed on a tree. But you're going to have trouble sacrificing a spirit on a tree. Something physically could be sacrificed on the tree. This is important. Listen to me very clearly. A body could be wounded. A body could be beaten. A body could be chastised. A body could be bruised. A body could have stripes laid to it. What are you alluding to, Brother McGee? I'm alluding to Isaiah 53 and 4, where the Bible says, surely he, speaking of Jesus Christ, this is prophetic scripture, speaking of the day when this would happen. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was wounded. You can do that to a body. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised. You know a lot of a bruise is blood underneath the skin? You can do that that has flesh and blood. I know we can figuratively speak of that happening to a spirit, but you can actually do it to a physical body. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace 
was you and chastise the body. With his stripes, we are healed. And so all of the wounding and the bruising and the chastising and the flogging, if you will, with the stripes, it happened to a real body. And so I stand up here tonight and say this then in, in reaction to the Jews, although they didn't quite understand everything quite yet. So yes, we are going to be interested and desirable of his flesh. Yes, we are going to be interested, if you will, and have an appetite for his blood because the things that the body of Jesus bore and carried granted me many many benefits it took care of my transgression it took care of my uh, uh, my, my iniquities it gave me peace it took care if you will of the sickness in my body so yes I will eat figuratively the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus because I have an appetite for it because the flavor in a figurative sense of the body and the blood is appealing to me because without it, I'm without hope. Without it, I'm without citizenship. Without it, I'm without redemption. Without it, I don't have a high priest to offer it. I sacrifice to make amends for my sin. So yes, I will eat both of the flesh and the blood because it benefited this old boy who was a sinner drawn by cords of sin, yet at the same time being drawn by the cords of the love of a master. To eat of the flesh and the blood is this, folks. It's to avail ourselves of what Calvary provided us. It's to avail ourselves of what Calvary satisfied. It's later in the scripture, not here. I think we do a, a somewhat of an injustice. Some people might say it's foreshadowing. What we have here is a foreshadowing of communion. I don't necessarily think that is the case. He'll later institute communion, all right, where we eat a man bread and we drink the fruit of the vine. Because the purpose of it then is to reflect backward and remember. Remember Calvary. Remember what was done for us. There's some verses I want to put before you. I won't hold you much longer, but long enough. I'll hit my 45-minute mark. There are some verses to put before you tonight. A few weeks ago, I kind of put a couple next to each other to show the parallels that kind of shed light on one another. All right, I'm going to do that again if we can here tonight with this scope of eating the body and drinking the blood language, all right? Amen? Not only that, your, your, your body, your flesh and blood is fully 100% associated with who the body and the blood belongs to. I know that's a simple statement, but that flesh and that blood belongs to Jesus, there's a direct, inseparable association that's there. Now, look what the Bible says. John 6, verse 35. I'm hurrying. Jesus said unto them, just follow me here. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall, everybody say, never hunger. He that comes to me shall never hunger. He's speaking to them in terms, if you're hungry, what do you do? Thank you, Brother Malone. He's hungry right now. You can see it on him. He's one. He's, yeah, I got you. I got you a number. He that comes to me shall never hunger. He's speaking in terms of eating. Look at the next phrase. And he that believeth on me shall never. Anybody want to fill in the blank? Thank you. Thirst. What do you do when you're thirsty? Drink. 
So he's talking to them about never hungering and never thirsting if they come to him and if they believe on him. He's speaking in this terms of eating, drinking. Do you get it? He's speaking in terms of eating, drinking, and then comes to them talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Coming and believing. Is everybody all right? Look a little, look, look a little further here. Again, remember, I'm going to emphasize this till we get to John 21 in the last verse. That believe in the scripture here is the trust, the commitment, the obedience. All right? It encompasses all of that. I said commit. I seen Sister Sarah look back at Bishop. John 6 and verse number 40. And this is, this is the, the other verse I want to couple with this. And this is the will of him that sent me, Jesus said, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now look at verse 54. All right? Look at verse 54. Here's the phrase. We might have to, can you do some toggling back and forth between these two? I wish you could put them both on the screen at the same time, but I know that's probably an impossibility. But nonetheless, go back to verse 40 for a moment. Here's the phrase I want you to see that after the first comma, that everyone which seeth the son and believeth on him. That's what I want you to see. Verse 54, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood. Look at this now. Look at this. Remember what we see in the, in the last verse, verse number 35, he's talking about eating and drinking, never thirsting, never hungering, right? He that comes to me will never hunger. He that, he that uh, uh, what's the other one? He that will, you got it before me? Ah, back to 27. I got it right here in my Bible, sorry. <laughs> Amen. What verse is it? It's verse number 35. Amen. He that believeth on me shall never first. So he that comes never hunger. He that believeth on me. So here in verse 40, and you, I hope you have your Bibles. If not, you not, might not. Brother Alex, he's going to burn up his fingers going back and forth for me. That everyone which seeth the Son, all right, and believeth on him, verse 54, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood. There's parallels here. The seeing the Son, the believing on him, the eating of the flesh, the drinking of the blood. Verse 40, he says, may have everlasting life. Verse 54, concerning those who eat the flesh and drink the blood, hath eternal life. Verse number 40, and I will raise him up up to the last day. Verse number 54, and I will raise him up to the last day. They are very similar because Christ is trying to make a parallel for us. You seeing the Son and believing on the Son is in essence you coming and believing, is in essence you coming to eat and to drink my flesh and my blood. And if you do that, you're going to have everlasting life. And I'll raise you up in the last day. But you got to come and you got to believe. You got to commit. You got to obey. You got to trust. You. When you do that, you're eating and drinking of my flesh and my blood. That's the living bread. And it won't leave you dead like the manna did those in the wilderness. You'll have life beyond this life. Eternal bliss. You okay, Brother Alex? He's good. So I got to come full circle. Stand with me while I circle. So I got to come full circle back to Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. This born of the water and the spirit analogies that Jesus used with the Nicodemus being born. Samaritan woman. The well, water from a well. Look, if you will, at verse number 56. 
He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwell in me, and I in him. I've talked to you about all this stuff before. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, he dwells in me, and I am him. Dwell in me many times relates to baptism. Because the Bible tells us in Galatians 3 that as many has been baptized into Christ have put on. flesh and drink my blood you dwell in me but when I receive the spirit of the Holy Ghost and I speak in other tongues as the spirit that I receive gives me utterance (laughs) I now have his spirit inside of me he told them before he ever left in his humanity in John 14 I am with you but I shall be in you. He said in Colossians, Paul said, he said, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So me getting baptized into Christ, I'm in him. But me receiving the Holy Ghost, he's in me. And if I eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, he said, you'll be in me and I'll be in you. So what we got here? Just another analogy Jesus is using for a different sect of people. He used the birth of a child. He used a whale. And now he's using eating his flesh and drinking his blood. All with really same accord. What? You need to participate in the being born of water and spirit. Because that's what really Calvary was pointing toward. The death, burial, and resurrection. He says you need to be a participant in that. And if so, everlasting life. And when the day comes... You stay committed to it, I'll raise you up at the last day. Heavenly appetites. Heavenly. You thought I was going to talk about angels' food cake, but you are so wrong. Heavenly appetites. Desiring the things that be of God. God himself. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to pray tonight again. Sister McGee will be, this is my only month with you. We'll get to John again. I know this might be hard on you uh, because just of the disjointedness. I'm not saying hard on you because you don't hear my voice, but I'm just saying maybe because of the disjointedness. But nonetheless, uh, let's pray tonight. Ask God to help us seal these things in our hearts and minds, right? We want this to we we want to be we want to never thirst and never hunger because we came and because we believed. Father, I come to you tonight. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for your spirit. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.